The apostles were delivered from the prison. And what does the angel of the Lord tell them to do? Go hide in your upper room. Take a break. Make sure that no one finds you. No. He said, go into the temple. And show forth the words of life. I love how that's put. Because if anybody needs the words of life, it is the United States of America today. Right now as a nation, we are as the blind leading the blind. It is a privilege to be here with you today. And um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of Acts chapter 12. Um, before we begin, let's commit our meeting to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we, we know that you are sovereign. We know that you have a plan. And Lord, we pray for the defiled family right now as they are grieving. And uh, we don't know the words to say at a time like this, but all we do know for sure is that you are good. And we rest upon that today, even as we grieve. For we grieve not as those who have no hope, but we grieve as those who know that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would comfort the defiled family today, and that you would give us grace for each day that comes. For the hymn writer said, very truly, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet each trial here. And we trust you for that. And now as we open your word, Lord, to Acts chapter 12, may we learn by example what it means to trust an all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-powerful God. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we continue through the book of Acts, we realize how much of an adventure the Bible is. Sometimes people say, well, the Bible's dry and it doesn't have much interesting in it. But when you read the book of Acts, you realize that they just haven't read the Bible, if they think that. So, as we begin this message today, we think about that things have been going fairly well for the church. They've had great growth and success. Yet even in their downtimes, they've rallied together to provide for each other. Last time we talked about how they 
provided, the, the Christians at Antioch provided for those who are in Judea. Judea. And they provided for the needs that were presented to them. And we talked about how that is the goal, that is the desire that God has for his church. What did Jesus say? He said, they will know that you are my disciples by what? By the love that you have one for another. And so, as we start uh, chapter 12, King Herod is going to flex his muscles, so to speak. But we are going to see through this chapter that no king's power is equal to the power of God. So, this first section is when the king kills James, the brother of John, and then he imprisons Peter. Now, nothing that I read as I studied for this week told me very much about why James was selected. So I don't really have background on that point. But let's read the first six verses together. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrinians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to break him forth, to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. And Herod would have brought him forth the same night Herod would have brought him forth. And, and when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now, from what I read, it was com quite common for one prisoner to be for for a prisoner to be chained to one guard. And Peter had already been delivered from prison, as we will read a little bit later. And so Herod knew this, so he's like, "I'm not letting Peter get away this time." I'm going to make sure there's four men watching Peter all the time. Two of them are going to be chained to him. Two of them are going to be guarding his cell. There's no way he can get out. What does this remind us of? Remember when Jesus died and was put in the tomb? The leaders came to uh, the Roman guard, the, the pilot, and said, His disciples said that he would rise again the third day. Therefore, set a guard 
before the tomb, lest his disciples come and steal the body, and then our situation with the people will be worse than it was at first. Because they're going to perpetuate this resurrection. And we all know how that went. The men who were at the tomb, they shook as dead men, and the stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in and see that the tomb is empty. We are coming close to the resurrection Sunday, where we can say boldly that our hope comes because he is risen. He is risen indeed. And so, this is a similar circumstance. There's guards all around Peter. I want to point out a couple things. First of all, it says that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Which seems to imply that he was beheaded. He was clearly killed. And I, I read something interesting that I would like to share with you. Uh, David Gesick, um, who does the Enduring Word Bible Commentary, says, says that Eusebius, who was an ancient historian, relates a story from Clement of Alexandria who said that the soldier guarding James before the judge was so affected by his witness that he declared himself a Christian and was also willingly executed alongside of James. So these disciples, even as they are chained to guards, are still proclaiming the gospel. So the next time you tell someone about your faith in Jesus and they ridicule you or mock you, just think about these apostles and how they were willing even to the very death to proclaim the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Chuck Colson said that was one way that he knew that the resurrection was true because he said when he and his group of colleagues were lying about Watergate it took them only a year to be exposed because they couldn't hold the lie if these men were lying they wouldn't have been able to hold on to the lie the odds of 500 people who saw Jesus alive having the same delusion in the same way are, are amazingly uncomputable. Jesus is alive. And it is that very truth upon which we stake our lives. And so then after he kills James and the Jews are happy about it, Remember Jesus said that it would set up Jesus that he came unto his own and his own received him not. So these Jews, these brothers of James, his people, are happy about his death. 
And then Herod, caring much about political expediency, remember Pilate when he bound Jesus over, what did they say to him? He wanted to let them go, and they said, if you let him go, what? You are not Caesar's friend. And being Caesar's friend was more important than doing the right thing for Pilate. So, he took Peter, and these were the days of unleavened bread. And he apprehended him and put him in prison, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, interestingly enough, this word for Easter which is the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, Pascha, it, in the Strong's, is referred to 29 times in the Bible, only once as Easter, 28 times as Passover. So we're talking about Passover here. He wants to appear that he is respectful to the Jews, and so he says, after Passover, I'm going to bring Peter out. And then we see Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So people were praying for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night Peter was sleeping, between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So these four men are guarding Peter and yet he's sleeping soundly. The psalmist says, I will both lay me down and sleep in peace. Why? Because God is the one who sustains us. I was listening to a sermon this morning that pointed out that in John chapter 21, Jesus says, when you're young, you'll go wherever you will want to, but when you are old, you will be stretched out. You will go where someone, where you do not want to go, and you will be basically forecasting the way that Peter would be killed. And so the point was made that Peter had some confidence that he would have some years of ministry left. And so that is part of the reason why he was able to sleep in peace. When we understand the end of the story, when we understand that um, God is in control, we can have peace in a myriad of situations. I've had two or three times in my life where I wasn't sure if it was my last day on earth. But I know that I'm invincible until God calls me home. There's an old contemporary Christian song that says those words, I am invincible until he has finished his purpose in me. 
and nothing shall shake me. No, he'll never forsake me. And I am determined to live for my king. And this is the attitude of the early church, that they would be determined to live for the king. These men who had run from Jesus in the garden were chained by the Holy Spirit of God into bold messengers of his grace. What a wonderful thing that is. So the situation is he's sitting there in the prison, no way to get out. How often in our lives are we in an impossible situation where we say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I remember one time a few years ago that I was writing a blog post on trusting God for his provision. And I was writing out of my personal experience and my pain and I was literally finishing up the blog post and my family brought in the mail and there was a letter for me and I opened it up and it was a substantial donation that was very needed at that time not exactly sure why but I was able to end that blog post on a note of praise because God provided in the nick of time, even though I had been complaining. God puts up with my complaining. Psalm 103 says he remembers that we are dust. And I'm so thankful for that because I don't deserve his blessings, but he gives them to me anyway. If we could look at Matthew 28, 22, and 23. Or Matthew 20, 22, and 23. Sorry, Matthew 20, 22, and 23. If somebody gets there, if you could read it for us. Matthew 20, 20, 22, and 23. You don't know when you were asked to. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? You can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand, my left is not me to drink. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So this is Jesus' words to James and John. He told them that they would drink the cup that he drank. But they weren't ready now, and they didn't understand it. So now, James, like his Lord, is called to die. So he did drink the cup. Now, will they be sitting on the right hand or on the left? We don't know. We know that the disciples will, will judge the twelve tribes of Israel, because the Bible tells us that. But we don't know what the arrangement's going to be. All we know is that God is true to his word. And so he was preparing James and John for this eventuality even then. And so we can be thankful that God 
keeps his word. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, Why do the righteous suffer? C.S. Lewis's response was, Why not? They're the only ones who can take it. That's quite an interesting perspective because I've had a few times in my life when people have said, well, God doesn't want you to suffer. If you trust him, you can walk again. But that's not what we hear from the Apostle Paul who had his thorn in the flesh. He said, I asked God three times to take it away and God said, what? No. Instead, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul didn't say, most gladly, therefore, I shed my infirmities. No, he said, most gladly, therefore, I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I believe firmly that my infirmity gives me a strength to serve the Lord that I would not have otherwise. And I'm thankful that he knows the end from the beginning. And that he made me a captive audience, particularly between July of 1992 and June of 1993 specifically. Because that year was the hardest year of my life. If I had been able-bodied, I probably would have made it very difficult on my parents. Probably would have ran away at least almost every Sunday because I didn't want to be in church. Because I was mad at God. Why did you take my brother and leave me here? But God saw to it that I couldn't escape if I had tried to leave in my wheelchair even if I could have I could not run my my dad but even if I could have my battery would have died eventually and I would have been stuck until somebody rescued me so I'm thankful I'm thankful for that the second section we have here is Peter delivered through answered prayer. You know, we often say that God answers prayer. And one thing I try to tell people when I address prayer with them is that, yes, God does answer prayer. It's not always the, the answer that we want, but he always answers prayer. And in James... He goes into more detail. He says, sometimes you have not because you ask not. Sometimes you have not because you ask in the right, in the wrong way. But the ultimate reality is that the will of God will not be thwarted. So if you ask anything according to his will, he will do it. The tricky thing is often our will is not lined up with his will. We don't understand his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
And so that gets us into trouble sometimes and causes us to doubt. Acts chapter 12, verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. One of my favorite verses of the song Amazing Love is, My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And when I was converted, the chains fell off my soul, and I walked forward in newness of life on this road that we call the Christian life. And actually, over the next ten weeks, we're on week three this coming Wednesday, but over the next ten weeks, um, on my podcast... We are presenting the Pilgrim's Progress. And it's a great allegory because it shows all of the suffering that Christian went through and how he had to sometimes be directed to the right path again. How God was patient to him. And I was particularly drawn to a portion when we were doing the production when he's talking to these two people that are trying to to go over the wall instead of through the gate. And he says, you trust yourselves. And I trust the one who gave me this jacket, this clothing of righteousness, because there's nothing in myself that will get me to the celestial city. And then it says, And he saith unto them, Cast thy, unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So he's thinking, I'm dreaming. I'm going to wake up, and I'm still going to be in that prison. When they were past the first and second ward, they came to the iron gate which leadeth to the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So again, remember, Herod takes James and he kills him. And it pleased the Jews so much that he's like, I want to please the Jews again. So he takes Peter. And Peter's probably made a lot of people mad at this point because he continues to cling to this idea that Jesus is alive, even though they saw him die. You know, they thought, we'll kill him, we'll put him in a tomb, and that'll be the end. No, my friends. That was only the beginning. And so, he said they had this expectation that he was going to be killed. and Now he's free. 
and I just think about so many things. Remember in verse 5, it says, Prayer without ceasing was made of the church of God for him. Bible says in James, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So God was causing that to be true. I heard a quote this morning, and my dad reiterated it to me during the break. He said, The angel freed Peter from prison, but prayer of God's people sent the angel. I've heard many other missionary stories where people were compelled to pray for a missionary at a particular time. And when they heard back from them later. They said, at that very time, I felt myself surrounded and safe in a place where I shouldn't have been safe. There was one time that I heard a story about a guy who I think was a witch doctor and he was going to kill this missionary. And he related to the missionary later. I don't know if he got saved, but he related to the missionary later. I was going to come and kill you in your tent. But there were all of these strong men surrounding the tent, and I got afraid. And come to find out later that at the very time that this man was being threatened, there were people were praying for him. It reminded me of the, of the story of, of Elijah, I believe, with his servant. His servants says, we're surrounded on all sides. How are we going to prevail? And Elijah prays for his eyes to be open. And his eyes are open and he sees the angel hosts surrounding him. The angels are active today. In Hebrews we're told to not be forgetful to entertain strangers because we may very well entertain angels unaware. If we could look at Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, Acts 5, 17 to 21. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the sex, filled with jealousy, and arrested the apostles, So we see in this story too the apostles were delivered from the prison and what does the angel of the Lord tell them to do? Go hide in your upper room. Take a break. Make sure that no one finds you. No, 
he said, go into the temple and show forth the words of life. I love how that's put. Because if anybody needs the words of life, it is the United States of America today. Right now as a nation, we are as the blind leading the blind. Lexus de Tocqueville said, America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. What did Jesus say? He said, no man is good, but God, no one is good, but God alone. So the only way for us to be good is to have our hearts in line with the one true God. We need to remember that it's in him we live and move and have our being. So Peter's free, and, and, and what does he do? What's the thing he does? Well, we'll f- find that out in just a second. But I wanted to share this story. Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. A mother at our mission statement died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair, so we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late, because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel lonely. (coughs) That afternoon, a large package arrived from England, The children watched eagerly as we opened it, much to their surprise. Under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly began to dig deeper, explaining, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew it advanced. of that child's sincere request. And five months earlier, he had had a ladies' group include both of these specific articles. And this is from Our Daily Bread. God answers prayer. What did Jesus say? He said, Your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So our third and final section for today, Acts 12, 12 to 17, the disciples are shocked by God's answer. It's amazing to me as humans, even though we say that we believe in God answering prayers, we are often still shocked by his provision. I remember... Five years ago, when my van was on its last legs, and I had two different garages, I believe, tell me not to drive it anymore. I think that was May. 
I ended up driving it all through the month of June because I had a really busy month that year. I, I preached um, like five out of six Sundays in a row or something like that. Didn't have time to not have it be on the road. And then God provided for my van right on time. The day we went to pick it up, the frame of the old van broke in such a way that it was rubbing on the front tire and it would not have been safe to ride in anymore. God always provides. And then over the next 23 months, God provided funds for me to make my car payments and pay off the car three years before the loan would have been up. Because that's the faithful God that we serve. He knows the end from the beginning. So now we're going to see the disciples shocked by this answered prayer. And I'm glad this is here because it makes me realize that I'm, that they're just human like me. Acts 12 verse 12 says, And when he had considered the thing, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. They said unto her, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning into them with, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So Peter comes to give them reassurance that God had answered their prayer. This again reminds us of Resurrection Sunday, does it not? Because who were the first to know that Jesus rose from the dead? the women who went to the tomb. And what did Peter, of all people, say when they came back from the tomb? Among the other disciples, but we know that Peter was a vocal disciple, so I'm sure he was one of the people who said this, you're just mad. This doesn't make any sense. It's not possible. So you're wrong. And then what does Peter do? He runs to the tomb. He and John, they run to the tomb together. So we see this again. They didn't believe. They said, you, you have to be wrong. And she's like, no, I know his voice. 
this is a nice parallel to that story too because Peter or because Mary Magdalene was at the tomb weeping and what happened? Jesus said Mary's name and when he said her name she knew it was the Lord. And so Peter continues knocking. I can only imagine what Peter's thinking. You know, he's like, I knocked. They didn't open the door. I know they're in there. Um, They were probably talking. He could probably hear them talking, which is one reason why he would keep knocking. But they didn't open the door, and finally they did. After saying, "Maybe, maybe God sent him back to us as an angel. Which I think, th- this, is, this is one um, interesting passage because we never actually read of people coming back as angels, even though that's a popular trope in our culture that my, uh, my, my loved one is now an angel. But the one time it's mentioned in Scripture, it's refuted because Peter was there in flesh and blood. And he told them the story of deliverance. He bolstered their faith by saying, you prayed, God answered. But then he left. And we don't know where he went. But he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. This very well could have been James the Last. We know there were two disciples named James. Or possibly Jesus' brother. But he he specifically mentions him. Perhaps he needed specific encouragement. Because God doesn't waste things when he mentions a specific person. But then he says, And to the brethren. Go tell the other disciples, wherever they may be, tell them of God answering your prayer. Because sometimes we pray for something for a long time or whatever, but we don't take the time to rejoice in the answer when it comes. I've heard of people keeping prayer journals so they can write down the answers to prayer, so they can look back and see God's faithfulness. This is something that God finds important too because he said to the children of Israel over and over again, remember to tell your children, remember to tell your children, remember to tell your children. Why? Because there was a generation that rose up and knew not God. May that never be said among our circles. We have a sacred obligation to share Christ with our children, with our grandchildren, with our nephews, with our nieces, with everyone we come in contact with, because he alone, as Peter said, has the words of life. First John five fourteen and fifteen, first John five fourteen and fifteen. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, wherever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we 
according to his will. If we ask according to his will, he heareth us. What a blessing. And now I'll close with this story. What a friend we have in prayer. What a protector. And how little we make use of it. When the Atlantic Cable was laid in 1850, there was a great celebration and rejoicing on both sides of the Atlantic. But what is the Atlantic Cable with messages of war and peace, of nations in commotion and sword to braille which flash across it, compared with the heavenly cable of prayer, whereby the tempted and tried man communicates with the God of heaven and receives messages and messengers of encouragement from heaven just as Jacob did at Bethel when he saw a ladder set up on the earth, the top of which reached to heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending. The Bible says that the prayers of the saints are a sweet fragrance to God. May we all be instant in prayer and pray, as Paul said in Thessalonians, without ceasing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Peter. We thank you that you didn't give up on him. He was very imperfect. His flaws are shown to us in the word. And yet, you made him an important piece of your work here on earth. And if you can use Peter, you can use us. Lord, we pray that we would be open to what you have to share with us. That we would do what you ask us to do, and we would do it with a glad heart. And I ask that if anyone here does not yet know you, that they would that you would bother them until they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without which no one will see God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.